0: Hey, and welcome to Generation Changers Church Podcast. Let's get into this week's message with Pastor Barry Smith.
1: We are talking about the core values that shape the culture of our church, but I want to point out one thing, and that is that these core values are no stronger than the passion with which they are embraced by every individual. They only shape a culture when we take them seriously in our lives. We've talked about the Jesus Passion, what it means to put Jesus first, we talked about generational faith, how it's not just a next gen ministry thing, but it's modeling Christianity in our homes so that our children see the authenticity of the faith displayed so they can carry that on. We talked about radical generosity, how you can't outgive God, but we love to try. Last week we talked about greater grace, that God's ability to be good to us is greater than our ability to be bad. Thank God for that, right? Today, we're going to talk about the core value we call one body, and here it is, nobody's perfect, everybody's welcome. I'm going to say that again, nobody's perfect, everybody's welcome. That should make all of us feel good. Now, if we truly believe in greater grace, that God's goodness is greater than our badness, then we got to embrace the fact that although no one's perfect, everyone's welcome. Some people say that there's no such thing as the perfect church. And I would say to that, that's because the church is made up of people and there are no perfect people. But today I want to go on record in telling you that this is the perfect church for imperfect people. And that's how I got to be the pastor. (laughs) So I really embrace that core value strongly. So many people in the world today though, Satan likes to get us in the in the body of Christ, the family of God. He likes to get us disillusioned and offended with one another. The enemy loves it when sheep take their eyes off the shepherd and put them on the other sheep. And so many times we get offended or disillusioned and we separate ourselves from the fellowship with God's family, and there's nothing the wolves love more than a sheep that's isolated from the rest of the fold. That's when the wolves of discouragement and and loneliness and bitterness and anger and division begin to devour that sheep and begin to tear away as it said, its spiritual existence. Well, we're going to disarm the devil today. We're not going to let the enemy play that trick at GC Church. We're just going to admit up front together we're all flawed. Say that with me. We're all flawed. I didn't say clawed. I said flawed. Okay? We are all flawed. Let's read Ecclesiastes 7 and 20. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Whew, I'm glad to get that one settled. However, keep in mind, this was penned before Jesus came to earth, and it was written before my wife was born. See what I did there? You guys learning anything? Okay. But the rest of us have to live with the fact that we're all flawed. Created in the image of God, yet flawed by sin. And those flaws, my friend, it's interesting that it says there's no man. It didn't say woman, but women, you're off the hook because the word is a dom and that means human beings, all human beings. All of us are flawed. And because of that, we all have a fleshly, sinful nature. And the truth is, sometimes we act out of our flesh. Let me just say what I mean. You probably know. Sometimes when we have a situation that arises, we react based on how we feel, not based on how we know we should. Sometimes when there's an uncomfortable or offensive circumstance that arises— We say what makes us feel better in the moment and not what helps the situation to get better. Sometimes we do the wrong things even when we know we're doing the wrong things. And sometimes we offend one another knowingly, but most of the time unknowingly. None of this makes us bad people. you know on top of our propensity to sin all of us have personality types that have some great traits and let's say some less great traits, okay? If you've ever been to 16personalities.com, you can go on there for about 12 and a half minutes and it'll tell you what's wrong with you all, out of all your life. You, now you know. Uh, it tells you of all the different personality types and how every one of them has strengths and Every one of them has, let's call them, opportunities for personal growth. When I took the test, I went right to the opportunities for growth. I didn't have time to mess with the strengths. I needed to fix what was wrong. That'll tell you anything about the commander personality, okay? Now, but understand, because we are different personality types, there are going to be times, there are clashes that are not intentional, not malicious, we're not bad people, We're just human, and we're all flawed, and we all act out of our flesh, and that gives us all the common need. We all need forgiveness. Can I get an amen? Here's what the psalmist said in Psalm 85. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. This was a psalm of King David whose flaws were obvious. But here's the thing. He was alive during the time that his stories would be recorded in Scripture. And his mistakes were written down so that for thousands of years we could still talk about them and remember them. I'm glad I wasn't living in the time the Scriptures were written. I would be a sermon illustration every Sunday in some church. But understand... The worst thing that can happen to you today is they put it on social media. Right? But you know what's so good? Somebody that does something dumber than what you just did is on their way. And they're going to put that on social media, and it's going to bury your story. But man, when it's written in the Bible, nobody's ever going to forget it. David was a sinfully flawed individual, yet God called him a man after my own heart. And when you read Psalm 86, you see a flawed man that had tasted the goodness of God's forgiveness. And that is who all of us are. We are flawed people, but in Jesus, we've tasted the goodness of God's forgiveness. How many of you are glad today for the forgiveness that God has given to you? See. The only problem with forgiveness is it costs dearly because the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. There's no forgiveness of sins. So what does God do? God chooses to rip the very heart from his chest in the form of his son and place him on a cross so that his blood may be shed so that forgiveness can come to all who believe. Hear me, Jesus came to bring us forgiveness from sins, and I'm so glad that he did. But understand this, the church is a community of believers that believe we've all, we're all flawed, we've all sinned, and we all need the forgiveness of a benevolent, gracious God. When people point out the sinfulness of Christians, you kind of want to go, duh, we know. That's why we're looking to Jesus. We're not perfect. We're just perfectly forgiven. It's interesting that before man ever sinned, God built redemption and forgiveness into his relationship plan because the Bible refers to Jesus. Notice that John called him the lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, but elsewhere the Bible calls him the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Before the world was formed into place, before Adam and Eve ever fell and sinned against God, God built forgiveness into his relationship plan with us. And I'm so glad but as the family of God, you know what? We are supposed to build forgiveness into our relationship plan with one another. That's what helps when you get together. I mean, when you get together with a bunch of flawed people that have the, the occasion to act out of their flesh, and you try to make them one people, what could possibly go wrong? Everything can go wrong. That's why we all need forgiveness. Forgiveness. Here's the thing we've got to realize. We're all flawed, but we're all family. It's about to get good or punch your neighbor with the elbow and wake him up. Here we go. Do you realize that Satan tries to divide us by our flaws, but our flaws are the first thing we have in common? And it's what connects us. I want to show you something. I hope I have this direction right. I believe I do. Have you ever seen a puzzle? You see a couple of pieces here. No puzzle has perfect shapes, perfect squares, perfect triangles, perfect circles. If they did, they could lie next to each other on a surface, but they could never be interconnected. There has to be some imperfect shapes that hold us together. And we need to realize the first thing we have in common— is that we're all imperfect. We are all flawed. But Satan tries to use those flaws to tear us apart. And he uses the things in us that are different from other people to divide us. When God says, I will take the imperfect pieces of the lives of my children and I will cause them to fit perfectly together in one family, the body of Christ. Understand something. All of us have odd shapes, as do these puzzle pieces, but we fit together because of that. We have the commonality that we come from the background of sin, born into sin and sin into us, and we're all shaped different. We all look different. We all have different experiences, but that's one of the very things that causes us to come together. Wow. Here's the thing. Regardless of our occasional clashes, regardless of our disagreements, regardless of our offenses, God is still our father. Now, I'm going to tell on myself a little bit from my childhood if I may. If you want to take a minute. I have two sisters, one 3 years older, one 7 years younger. I was the man on the middle cross growing up in my house, uh, surrounded by two thieves. No, I'm just kidding. Now, uh, uh <laughs> We used to argue. We used to fuss and even fight. How many of you fussed and fought with your siblings? Anybody? Tell the truth, stay in the church. Now, my bigger sister used to beat me up until I got to where I could land punches that landed. And then we became friends. I don't know how that happened. Now, boys, don't be hitting your sisters. You hear me? I was trying to survive, trying to live. It's not a good thing to do. But she was, they called her a tomboy, and boy, she could whip any boy on the street. And we we would fight. My, my baby sister, at, I was seven years old, the baby of the family, and she was born and ruined everything. I had the ticket. I had a life set for me. I had all the attention, and here she came, and we fought. But you know what? In all of our fighting my father never gave me permission to quit being their brother he never gave us permission to stop being family he never said to us move three houses down and join that family he probably wished we would have but here's the thing you know what i see in the body of christ we're supposed to all be family And we have disagreements with one another sometimes and we rub each other the wrong way sometimes and we have a fight and what do we do? We pick up our stuff and we move three churches down. And we get us a new family. And we start over again until we find out they got flaws too. And here's the thing. We stunt our spiritual growth The Bible tells us, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. Do you know iron is sharpened? Friction. But every time in the body of Christ, people have a little disagreement, just a little bit of friction, they don't get sharpened, they just take off. Let me tell you something. It is not God's plan for every time you get mad at someone in your church or every time they get mad with you that you part ways and go to neutral corners and find you different churches. No, we are the family of God, and if we stay around a while, we would grow through that relational conflict, and it would sharpen us as people and mature us in Christ. Because it was when we were young and immature that we had those spats. Hmm. If you're always entering into offense with people, if you're always getting offended by somebody, you might need to mature a little. And realize, the older me and my sisters have gotten, we've learned the value of loving one another and being family. And we may have fought like cats and dogs growing up, but they are off limits. And before you ever get to one of my sister's, You'll go through me, and it'll be a long day. Because I don't look like much, but I'm really mean when it comes to that kind of stuff. And there's nothing I wouldn't do to protect either one of them. I love them with my whole heart. We grew up, and we learned the value of loving one another. How many of you think it's time that the family of God grows up and learns the value of loving one another? Wow. I ain't getting finished today. I can tell right now. Listen. It's not perfect people, but this is a perfect family, God's family around the world because it's all based on the perfect love and the perfect grace and the perfect forgiveness of Jesus. I want to show you what God did to us, making us family. The Bible says in Ephesians, he decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. The word adoption comes from, a com- it's a compound of two words. The, the first word being hios, which means son, and tithemi, me, which means to place. It means that he legally makes us his child. That God did something that man can't undo. That it's legal that we are his children and he is our father and people can say we're not but that doesn't make a difference you can go to my dad all day long and say he's not your son he's not your son he's not your son and my dad will say to you oh yes there is because there's some of me in him are you hearing what i'm telling you today there may be people that don't think you're part of god's family that god's not your father and you're not his child but don't worry about what they say you've got part of the father in you you've got are, are you catching this today his holy spirit lives in you the grace of jesus lives in you there's part of him in you so you are his child it's legal it's done and the way he made it legal is this he couldn't make a sinner his child so he allowed his child to take the sinner's place and jesus went to the cross and paid the price of sin paid the penalty of death so that our adoption would be legal i've often thought adopted children are extremely special Sometimes there's a parent that has to make a very selfless, hard decision to give a child up so they'll have a quality life. That takes bigger love than what I've ever known other than the love of God. And then sometimes there are families who make the gracious decision that see a child that has no place and says, come be part of our family. That's what Jesus did for us. That's what God did for us. When he saw us spiritually homeless, when he saw us wandering on our own, God says, come to my house and be part of my family. God chose to love us. He doesn't love us because he has to. He loves us because he chooses to. And I'm so grateful. Let me ask you this. How many of you are grateful that God chooses to love us anyway? And there's nothing anybody can ever do to separate us from that love because It's a love of his choice. Wow. I better move on. We are all family because God is our father. And here's the beautiful part. We all fit in. Just like those odd-shaped puzzles has a place in the puzzle, those pieces, we all have a place in the body of Christ. We all fit in. The church is the place where misfits fit in. And I'm grateful because all of us are misfits. The family of God is referred to in the Scripture as a body, and we'll talk more about that next week. But I want to share one Scripture with you right quick. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, 18, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body. Now, it precedes this with talk like we are many members but one body. And then it tells us God arranged the members in the body, the parts of the body, each one of them as he chose. Just like God put the hand on the end of the arm or the foot on the bottom of the leg, he places you in the body of Christ. God knew what he was doing when he made the human body. He put the nose, the eyes, and the mouth all on the front of our face. Let's just say he gave us eyes in the front and our noses and our mouths in the back. Now, some people are that way because they're two-faced, right? No, no, that's just a joke. Okay? Forgiveness, remember forgiveness. Now, but could you imagine having a conversation with someone? You see them walking up. How you doing? Good to see you. Could you imagine trying to eat a steak? You look down, you turn around, and sniff it. <laughs> how ridiculous is that? God knew exactly what he was doing, putting the parts of the human body where he put them, and he knows exactly what he's doing when he places you in the local church where he sends you. He knows what he's doing. You have a place, and you have a purpose, and he knows where to put you. Now, uh, I'm going to say this as quickly and with as much love as I can, but there's a disturbing trend in the body of Christ today that I see, and let me tell you what it is. The spiritual leadership in the home, especially when it comes to church connections, has been handed to the children and not the parents. Here's what I mean. Oftentimes, people's children determine where they go to church. It's just true. Every church should strive to have a strong next-gen ministry. Tots, children, teens, that's important. Every church should be committed to that if they want that church to continue to worship Jesus and, and serve the Lord long after this generation is done. We believe in that very strongly. But here's the thing. So many times children make the decisions where their families go to church today and we hand the spiritual reins of the family over to spiritually unqualified individuals. Let me ask you this. If your family were going out to eat, would you throw the car keys to your three-year-old and say, you're driving? Why wouldn't you do that? Number one, it's illegal. Everybody agree with that? Got to be at least 16 and have a driver's license, so it's illegal. They don't have the legal right. Number two, they don't have the expertise or the skill set that it takes to drive your family safely. And third, based on the first two, it's just not the smart move. But yet so many times, children become the spiritual leaders in their family and lead their, 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 their families to churches. Now, let me say this. Sometimes I do believe that parents don't listen and God uses children. And out of the mouth of babes, the word of the Lord comes. But I do believe that every parent should take the responsibility for their family's church connection and be the spiritual leaders in the home and tell your children why you're doing what you're doing and bring them all in to the decision God's led you to make. You are parents. You are to be discerning of where your family goes to church. Because listen, it's not really our choice. The Bible says God places us in the body where he wants us. We have to pray and surrender to that. And that means you may have to put up with preaching like this. It might not be pleasant. You might have to put up with worship like Pastor Blake gives. But if that's where your God wants you, honey, then put... That's why, you know what, we have a saying around here, if God sent you, you can't leave, and if he didn't send you, you can't stay. (laughs) Because God places people in the body where it pleases him, we all fit. Yes, we're all flawed. Yes, we're all family, and we have this in common. We're all fighting for forever. All of us are fighting the good fight of faith to ensure forever with Jesus at the end of this life. Let me just put it this way. We're all trying to get from here to heaven. And the truth is, the devil's not our cheerleader. He doesn't sit back and go, go, man, go. I hope you make it. The devil positions himself in your face, trying to keep you from making one footstep toward eternity with God. That's why we need the local church, because we all need a connection, a connection that brings us strength. When we get together with like-minded people with similar struggles, yet we have a common goal, and that's to get from here to heaven and take as many people as we possibly can with us. There is a shared strength from which we benefit when we come together as the body of Christ. God did not design us to live the Christian walk alone. He designed it that we interact and connect with one another. To do it like the foot that is useless without connection to the leg and the hand that it's useless without connection to the body. Hear me, we will never live the fullness of the Christian experience or experience divine purpose disconnected from the body of Christ. He designed it that we do it together. And the opportunity for growth relationally, spiritually. How many of you know? How many of you have potted plants in your home? I didn't say how many of you are growing pot in your home. I said, How many of you have potted plants in your home? Okay, get your mind on Jesus. Uh, (laughs) Now, here's the difference between a potted plant and a planted plant. It's convenient to have that potted plant because you can move it anywhere you want to. If you don't feel like you're getting enough sun in one place, you can pick it up and move it to the other place. But Here's the problem with a potted plant. It never grows beyond the potential of its pot. A planted plant, however takes roots. And when a plant takes roots, it produces fruit. And that's why we all need to go to God and figure out that local church connection He's got for us, and we take root and start producing fruits of service to the Lord that will enhance and further the work of His kingdom. Because we are to be planted, not potted. And when you're planted, you're there when it's sunshining, and you're there when it's raining. You're there when it's dry, and you're there when it's wet. You're there when it's day, and you're there when it's night. God designed for us to be planted, not potted. We need a connection. Secondly, we all need a covering. Every one of us, including me, needs the covering of godly shepherds. I am grateful when I look around the room and I see the God relationships I have. These are not good relationships. These are God relationships, ones that he's ordained for our lives. I'm grateful for the friends that are in this place that are friends of mine in the faith. There is strength I draw from that. There's a covering. I know no matter what, 24-7, seven days a week, somebody has my back. Somebody's watching my six, and somebody's praying for me. And guess what? Somebody's praying for you every single day, too. I'm grateful for the bishops that speak wisdom into my life, that shepherd my soul and hold me accountable. I'm grateful for the team I minister with that does the same thing. I'm grateful for the encouragement I receive. I need that covering. And I hope, I just hope I can do likewise in return. All of us need a covering from the enemy's plot against us. And we find that in the family of God. It's a connection to the greater body of Christ around the world. It's a covering where we know we're not by ourselves. Because here's the thing, when we're not by ourselves, but we come together as the family of God, we are unstoppable. I want to share with you right quick the story of when Jesus, I believe you'll find it somewhere around Matthew 16, Jesus takes his disciples to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. It is one of the most ungodly cities in the region. It is filled with paganism, demonic worship. It is filled with sexual immorality like you could not imagine. It's filled with statues. It's filled with everything that's ungodly. So Jesus has them at the coast of Caesarea Philippi. Here's the city behind them that represents the domain of hell in the earth. And Jesus looks at them and says, who do men say that I am? And this is all going somewhere, Jesus. is setting them up. They said, well, some say you're Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus said, but who do you say that I am and Peter said you're the Christ the son of the living God Jesus said to Peter blessed are you Simon Barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you but my father who's in heaven and I say to you you are Peter and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it now I want you to imagine the domain of hell and the earth in that region is right behind them right within sight and Jesus says when we come together with a common revelation that Jesus is the only begotten son of God. How many of you believe that Jesus is the one and only begotten son of God when we believe that he's the anointed one, the Messiah, when we come together with that understanding then the gates of hell that are holding the dominion over the hearts and lives of families everywhere, Jesus said those gates are not going to prevail in other words, they're not going to prevent you when you come together from busting through the gates of those demonic strongholds in the earth and rescuing the souls that Jesus died for And as my brother in Kentucky says, you'll be able to plunder hell to populate heaven when you do it together. The the Bible tells us that the gates of hell can't withstand the force of the church. And you always hear me say this when I preach on that scripture, and that's this. The Bible never said the gates of hell wouldn't prevail against you or against me. It says the gates of hell won't prevail against us, the church. When we stand together, we are unstoppable. And people who are bound and people who are lost have hope because the family of God is united. It is a common connection and a common covering, but it takes something on our part. It takes a commitment. How many of you, if you just... um, didn't work on being a family, would think that your family would survive. If you just let, you know what's sad? People miss a decade of Christmases together because they're mad at each other. That's not only sad, that's just silly. That's Satan. Satan divides and conquers. And they miss the joy of loving one another and fellowshipping one another because they don't work at being a family. It takes a commitment. My wife and I are married today by the grace of God and by the kindness of her heart, but by a commitment on both of our parts to be married. I don't want to conduct myself in any way that makes her not want to be married any longer. If you've ever been to the couples retreat that we just booked again for next year, you'll know what I'm talking about. It takes an effort on our parts, a commitment daily to be husband and wife, and it takes a commitment on our part to be the family of God. I know this is scary, but I'm your brother. That freaked me out a little too, especially if I was a first-time guest. I'd be going, oh, no, you're not. Uh, But you're my brothers and you're my sisters. and That means we make an effort to stay connected. Whether it's getting involved in life groups or serve teams or whatever it is, we make a practical connection. We build friendships and relationships with one another. And when we do that, Hell can't stop us. Next week, we're going to talk about how we're better together and how we're not just called together to benefit us, but we're actually called to benefit the world by sharing with them the gospel of Jesus. But it's very simple. You become part of this family by accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. We don't wave any magic dust over you or Make any big de- you, when you accept Jesus, like it or not, we're family. But when you decide to become part of a local church, what you're telling the world is, I'm connected to all believers in Jesus around the world, and my local church is my place of connection. I'm part of where this family meets on a regular basis, because see, it's not just about the GC family, it's not just about the Baptist family. It's not just about the Pentecostal family or the Presbyterian family. It's about God's family. And let me say this. It's not a white family. It's not a black family. It's not a purple family, a yellow family, or a red family. It's God's family. And it's not just about all of God's children right now. We are part of the same family that has been around since Jesus called us together as the church, called out of the world to be the family of God, the body of Christ. We are the spiritual descendants of those who walked with Jesus, John the Beloved, Paul the Apostle, who went and was a missionary to the known world and the regions of the world at that time. He's part of our spiritual heritage. And here's the thing this family we are part of has been around for 2,000 years. We've been through hardships, we've been through persecutions we've had martyrs, we've had people that have gone to their own crosses and lost their heads beheaded because of their faith in Jesus Christ. I don't take that lightly today. We're part of God's eternal family, and we are part of that same family that followed Jesus around every day. And guess what? The world has tried to destroy us, but we're not going anywhere until Jesus comes. We will forever be the family of God, and when Jesus comes again, we'll be the family of God in the presence of of the Lord. Come on, somebody. This is a forever family. We are part of the family of God. Stand with me all around the room. Pastor Blake is going to come and give you an invitation just to take whatever your next step is to be part of this family because we love you. And whether you're a family of five or a party of one, there's a place for you. There's a place for you. I just want to close by telling you this. While we'll talk next week how God mobilizes this family for the good. Today, I'm just grateful to be part of this family. As much as my wife and I love each other, our lives would be so empty without Jesus and without you. You're a joy to our heart. We pray for you every single day. God's blessings and protection over you and your family. When we know you have a personal need, we call that out before the Lord. We're grateful to be in this loving family. And though I'm back and forth between campuses and you've got family members in Lebanon, maybe you've never even seen, and I'm running back and forth, I wanted to take a moment today and tell you one thing. Kathy and I love you deeply. We want to see everything God designed for your life to come to pass. And if we can help that in some small way, that's why we're here. But always remember, We are praying for you, we love you, and our intention is to be together till Jesus comes and then be together for all eternity because I want a special seat. You know, we have a lot of kids from the church come over to our house and jump in the pool. Sometimes we're not even home, we come home, we got a yard full. I'm personally going to do a cannonball in the Crystal River when we get together in heaven all to see. It'll probably cause the river to run dry. I understand that. I get it. But I can't wait to spend eternity with you worshiping the one who forgave us and set us free. God bless you.
0: Thanks for joining us today at Generation Changers Church. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and leave us a review. It helps this podcast reach even more people. GC can now be your home church no matter where you live with GC Church Online. Watch weekly messages wherever you are with family and friends. Join our online family today by texting the word online to 615-488-7151. And let's do life together. If you would like more information, please visit gcchurch.tv. And special thanks to those who give generously to help us produce weekly content like this to reach the world with the message of Jesus. If you'd like to partner with us, you can give by clicking the link in the description or texting the word GIVE to 615-375-4286 or by going to gcchurch.tv and clicking the GIVE tab. God bless you and we'll see you next week.